Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus chapter 13, verses 37 through 46. 48. 38 through 46. Okay, 38 through 46. Sorry. If a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, Then the priest shall look, and indeed, if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin. He is clean. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. And if there is on the bald head or bald forehead a reddish-white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine it. And indeed, if the swelling of the sore is reddish-white on the bald head or on his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leper, on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall be unclean all the days that he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the pictures that you have given us of sin. We pray that you will help us to understand these. Please help us to apply them to our lives and uh, to the church rightly. We pray that you will be with Mr. Horn and that you will uh, give him wisdom. Please speak through him and help us to uh, help us to listen and apply your word. Amen. As we consider these passages on leprosy, with leprosy being a a picture of sin, it's important to understand why God would also have explicitly in the scriptures the things that, that don't appear maybe to be normal, but they're not leprosy. When the leprosy is warned about, as with many things in scripture, you can go off on either side. You can go more severe or you can go less severe. You can ignore things that you're not supposed to ignore or you can also go and say, oh, this is, this is bad when it's really not bad. And so it's really easy. The, in Deuteronomy, we're warned not to go off on the right hand or the left hand. You can't say that things are sin that are not sin and you can't say things aren't sin that are sin. And so I think in, in this passage, we see the same thing we see this idea of, no, it's just a white spot. It's just a bald head. (coughs) 
just a white spot, it's just a bald head, it's not a sign that there is some kind of sin involved or something else going on. And we need to recognize that when Christ comes, this is what, this is what he found, this is what they accused him of doing. They saw him doing something different and his disciples doing something different than what everybody else was doing, so they accused him of being a sinner. They said he's violating the law, or his disciples were violating the law. In Matthew 15, 2 and 3, it says, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? They're basically exalting their tradition and saying, This is how everybody does it. And because everybody does it this way, you're in sin if you don't do it this way. They saw something different, and because of that, they said they're unclean. Now, the equivalent in this passage is they saw a white spot, so they said they must be unclean. They saw a bald head, so they said they must be unclean. So God gives explicit commandments saying this is not unclean. And as I was thinking about that, I thought it was worthwhile noting that this continues to happen today. You know, my family, Charles was there, but nobody else was there, went through a church split about 17 years ago. And this was precipitated. It wasn't the reason that the church split, but it was precipitated because Kendra started to wear a head covering. Because I read the scriptures and I said, a woman is supposed to have her head covered. And because of that, the church split because everybody went, that's unclean. The church split because they refused to put me under church discipline because Kendra started wearing a head covering. That's what this is a picture of. That is how this works. That is how people hold so strongly to traditions that that they hold so strongly to traditions, they make sin not to be sin, and they make what is not sin to be sin. And so if we don't allow things, and the idea here is a bright spot, if we don't allow things that are glaringly different, like washing your hands before eating or wearing a head covering, if people are not allowed to operate on their own convictions, especially when they're arguing from Scripture why this is sin or why they're compelled to do this, if you don't accept that, the church can never advance in holiness. It can never look and say, is this person right or is this person wrong? If what you say is everybody just must conform to the lowest common denominator, what you will always have is the church becoming less and less holy, the church walking in less and less separation from the world because the world is constantly pushing the church to walk more in line with it. And so if you don't accept people that have a bright white spot, the church will never get more holy. The church will always decay. It will always get more and more dull. It will always get more and more like the world. It will not be the light and the salt that it should be. Whenever we see somebody, it's really easy to accuse them of being unclean because they're doing something different. You're a legalist is the same as calling somebody with a white spot unclean. It's the same exact thing that's being talked about in this, in this passage. They're not unclean. They're just different. And especially if they're trying to be different because they're trying to work 
and to understand how the Bible should work out in their lives, that's how the church moves forward. That's how it grows in holiness. That's how it grows in righteousness. So the things that are not leprous, it's important to reflect because they teach us truth about how people act in a sinful way. And so God in his law says that's not leprosy so that we don't call things sin that are not sin. We do not try to control behavior and say you must conform to everybody else when that conformity isn't required by the scriptures. It's not required by the commandments of God. Let's go to verses 38 and 39. If a, <coughs> excuse me. If a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, then the priest shall look. And indeed, if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin. He is clean. So it starts by saying, if a man or a woman, it can be either gender. And we know that these pictures are pictures for the new covenant. The Holy Spirit is working the same in both. It's working the same in male or female. So the conviction of sin can come to either a male, either a man or a woman, and has a bright spot. So this is the same term that's been used throughout the chapter. But in other cases, it had to be associated with swelling. It had to be, it was related to a blow. It had to, to have a scab. It had to have a burn. It had to have all these other things. And now it's just saying it's a white spot. It's a bright spot. It's a noticeable thing. That's important to recognize. It's not like this, people don't see it. This is something that people see. And they see that it's lighter in color than the skin around it. But there's none of the other signs of leprosy. It's not scaly. It's simply a discoloration of the sin. It's some skin. It's somebody that looks different and noticeably different. And it can be anywhere on the skin of the body. The bright spot can be any place, which again indicates that it's those who are closest to you that are likely to see it. And then it repeats it and says specifically white bright spots. It's specific that the skin is lighter. So this isn't like freckles. I mean, in, in the King James, it's translated freckles. But freckles are darker. So this is, this is skin that is lighter. The skin that is, it's standing out because it is different. It clearly looks different. But they're not caused by God striking the person. They're not caused by a blow. They're not a wound because of sin. They're simply about being different than the people around them. So then the priest shall look. Because it looks suspicious, because it doesn't look normal, the priest still has a duty to examine it. If it looks abnormal, if it attracts attention, it should be looked at to see if it's sin. So much of these laws about leprosy are to remind us of the serious responsibility to deal with sin. Even when things aren't sin, we're supposed to still, the priest is supposed to look at them, they're still supposed to judge. Because sin is that destructive. Sin is so destructive that Jesus Christ had to take on flesh and he had to be crucified. And so the church is supposed to take sin seriously. It should examine when somebody's behavior changes. Not because it's necessarily sin, but it's valid to, be, to examine it and say, is this sin? When it stands out, when it's obvious. And so in this case, they were still to examine the skin to see if it was leprosy. 
and it was the priest's job to determine whether it was leprous or not. So indeed, if the bright spots, again, the person sees the sin, brings the person to the priest, somewhere on the body, on the skin of the body, and then the priest examines it, and if it's dull white. So if it's a bright, shining spot that's dull white, that that seems to be contradictory. But the idea is that the skin, the bright spot is that the skin, like, shines. That, That has more to do with shining than color. The white has to do with color. So when it says that it's dull white, the idea is that the the spot attracted attention. But I think the reason that you look to see if it's dull white is if the person's trying to attract attention, then it's sin, regardless of what they did it. If they're doing it to attract attention, that doesn't mean they should be considered leprous. But the point is, is if they're doing it to walk in obedience, they're not... It's a dull white. They're not doing it because what they're trying to do is to show off. They're not trying to attract attention. And so on examination, if you see that it looks different than the rest of the skin, but it's not like a bright white that's trying to attack, attract attention, but it's a dull white, then they're clean. The picture here is that people can be different. And sometimes they're different for the sake of attracting attention. Think of why so many people have tattoos and why people have all these weird piercings. It's all about attracting attention. It's all about getting people to look at them. And people can intentionally go do a ministry just so people look at them. That's still sin. Even if they're doing something good, it's still sin. But if they're doing it because they're saying, this is what God would have me to do, and yes, people see it, but they see it because I'm working to obey God. That's the picture of it being a dull white. Is that yes, they're different. Yes, they're doing different things than the people around them. But they're not doing it to attract attention. It's attracting attention because it's different. Not because the goal is to attract attention. So it's just a white spot that grows on the skin. If it's dull white, if it's not attracting attention, it's just about differences between the different members of the body. Different members of the body are convicted of things at different times. Different members of the body are given different ministries. Different members of the bodies, they they all have God as their father if they're truly saved. And so there are differences, and we're supposed to celebrate the differences. We're not supposed to look at the difference and go, they didn't wash their hands before they ate the grain, so therefore they're unclean. He is clean. The priest is to declare him clean because it's the duty of the priest to make a difference between the clean and the unclean. Verses 40 through 44. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. And if there is on the bald head or bald forehead a reddish white sore, It is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or on his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine it, and indeed, if the swelling of the sore is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now God's dealing with a different case. As for the man, this... Most of the other ones are if it's on a man and a woman. This is very specific to men because 
men and women evolve differently. Women tend to just lose their hair and it thins. Men actually, there's patterns of baldness in men. So this is about losing hair, not because of some sickness, not because of treatment for that sickness, but this is normal baldness. This is about a normal pattern of life. And so it's about that man whose hair has fallen from his head. This is about when a man goes bald. So why have a separate section about this? Why, why even talk about baldness at all? And I think, first of all, the leprosy, the handling of the leprosy is different if it's in a place that was bald. But I also think that the baldness is representing age. That when somebody ages, when somebody's a more mature believer, when they've been in the faith longer, the expectations are different. And some men do go bald at a young age, but most of them, baldness is associated with age. And so I think this is the case of what does sin look like when it's in somebody who's been in the church a long time, when it's been somebody who, who God appears to have been sanctifying them, appears to have been maturing them in the faith. So we should recognize that how sin manifests itself does depend on maturity. A person who has professed faith for a long time, their leprosy, which is always a picture of what's going on in the heart that's showing up on the outside, the external, it shows itself out differently because they've had years of hiding their sin. When it breaks forth, when you see it, it is to be handled differently than for the new believer who just came to faith and is still trying to figure things out and hasn't been chastened by God and hasn't been matured and hasn't been treated like a son and been scourged, their leprosy will look different. Or what's not their leprosy? They'll have scabs. They'll have these other sores. That is not the picture of what the mature Christian is supposed to have because God is effectual in raising up his children. So if the hair's fallen from his head, he's bald. That baldness is not a sin. It's not a blow from God. It's not a judgment from God. He's clean. His being bald has nothing to do with, with any sign of judgment. Or whose hair has fallen from his forehead. Some men bald from the top of their head and some baldness moves down. Moves, and that baldness moves down. And some bald from the front and that baldness moves back. And some have both kind and they join together. And so there's these different pictures of what baldness looks like. And I think if you're looking at baldness and saying this is a picture of age, then you have to look at baldness and say this is a picture of sanctification. This is what it looks like. Especially when you look at hair and, you know, hair hides things. And now all of a sudden you see their skin. You see, you see what's underneath when they go bald. And some sanctification starts in the hidden places of the heart. And some places start in the most obvious place, like somebody who's bald starting in the forehead. And so I think the sense that more of the head can be seen in either case, there's less of it hidden. The one whose hair is lost from the front, their, their actions are seen, their actions, the, the change in their actions can be seen. The person who's bald from the top of their head, it's manifested out from, the, from what's hidden is first changed and then that manifests itself out in their behavior over time. So he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. Being bald on the forehead, again, is not a sign of sin, 
I think it's a sign of God maturing you there first. It's not a problem. They're still clean. It's still God training his adopted children. So if there's a bald head or a bald forehead, so this is when the skin of the head can be more easily seen since it's not hidden by the hair, then the examination for leprosy changes and the way you deal with leprosy in that skin changes. So if all of a sudden you see a a reddish white sore, it's a sore that appears where the hair was lost. And that term translated reddish white is is only used in three places and it's always used in describing leprosy. So this is a, a specific term that's used to describe leprosy. And it's only used in these two chapters of Leviticus, 13 and 14, that are about leprosy. So if the appearance of that sore is the same as the appearance on other parts of the body that's leprous, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. This is the first time in the chapter that it doesn't say you have to go to the priest and then you determine it's leprosy. Now they are to go to the priest and the priest is to declare it's leprosy. But every place else it says in the chapter, this might be a leprous sore. Or it looks like a leprous sore. So you go to the priest and the exam- priest examines it. And it's not until the priest looks at it that the priest says it is leprosy. But in this case, it starts out by saying, if it looks like it, it's leprosy, even before the priest examines it. And so it's important to recognize that the person who has been mature, the person who has been being aged in the faith, the person who has been being sanctified through the work of God in their life and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, when you see sin break out in them, it is different than the the guy who just came to faith the year before. It is different, and other people can right away look at it and say, that's sin. Now understand, what we do in the church today is exactly the opposite in the modern church. The pastor who's been preaching for 30 years and then all of a sudden, right, there was one in Colorado that solicited a male prostitute. And everybody went, oh, it was just a slip. No, it wasn't. Everybody's supposed to go, he's unclean. He's not saved. He doesn't know God. And that's what the response is. But so often we go, oh, but look at all the work he's done. Look at how long he's preached the gospel. He must be saved. And this is saying, no, everybody can look at it and go... Wow, if that leprosy broke out in him, it's broke out in the most obvious place. It is leprosy. It is sin. It, is, it means that his heart is wrong. It's a lot different for a new believer when that sin appears, when they maybe don't understand, when they, when they haven't been convicted, when they haven't been instructed. These things happen, but it's different from that in somebody who's aged in the faith. It's different when they're mature in the faith. (coughs) The mature believer, we should have an expectation that the Holy Spirit in their life has already worked on them, has already sanctified them, has already constrained their sin, has already changed their heart, has already worked to make them conform to the image of Jesus Christ. So when we see that, that sore, when we see that sin in their life, We are to take it more seriously. We don't need to do the thing where you isolate them for 14 days. You don't need to do the thing where you're you're examining it to see if it's deeper than the skin, if there's a white hair in it, all these other things for all the other ones. In this case, you just go, this must be to the heart. 
because the Holy Spirit looked like they had matured them, looked like that they had advanced, but yet then the sin breaks out. So you say it is leprosy when that sore breaks out. Then the priest shall examine it. Again, the priest still examines it because it is the priest's responsibility to declare what is clean and what is unclean. And so people might look at it and say, that's sin breaking out when the reality is what they're doing is not sinful. So indeed, if the swelling of the sore, it can't just be a flat spot in the skin or it's back to what it was in the previous verses, that it's just a white spot on the skin. It can't just be a discoloration of the skin. It has to be a swelling. But if it's, there's a swelling of the sore and it's reddish white on his bald head or his bald forehead, if it's a spot that's white that has some red color in it, the word is kind of like almost like when you blush because of shame. It's kind of the picture of the whitish red. The, rule about deter- the rules about determining whether it's leprosy changes... <coughs> It's not about hairs. It's not about spreading. It's not about appearing deeper than the skin. It's if it appears like the leprosy on the skin of the body. If it looks like leprosy somewhere else on the body, nothing else needs to be known. He is a leprous man. It is leprosy. When sin breaks out in someone who is mature, someone who has been said that they've been being sanctified by God, being matured in the faith, when you see the sin it's a lot easier to recognize what it is. It shows his heart is not where you thought it was. It doesn't take the same testing, the same trial, the same, the same patience as it does with the other, with, with somebody who's less mature in the faith. It's immediately a more serious matter. For example, say a drunkard comes to the faith And maybe they have some struggle in the first year or two dealing with their drunkenness, but then they don't don't get drunk for for 20 years. Then all of a sudden they go and get drunk. That's a, a much more serious sin than it was the person who, the first year that they did it. Because it's saying God did not work in their life. God did not sanctify them. God did not actually break that power of sin in their life. And God is saying, no, you're supposed to see this. You're supposed to see the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. And it means they actually have power over sin. The dog that returns back to his own vomit is unclean. He is a dog. And it's different when they're a new believer. It's different when they're just, they don't know how to put up barriers. They don't know how to put up protections. They don't know how to do all these things. But the mature believer is supposed to know how. The mature believers, his heart is supposed to have changed. It's supposed to not desire the sin. The sin is not, does not have the same power over them as the newborn babe in Christ. We have to have an increasing expectation of sanctification. That is the promise of Scripture. That when God begins a work in you, he will complete it. He will continue to work in you. He will continue to sanctify you. So when we do this, it's not a denial of the, of the sin nature of men. When we say that that person who the leprosy breaks out, the sin breaks out 20 years after they were saved, 30 years after they were saved, or they were professing salvation, when that sin breaks out, it's not saying anything about their nature. It's saying about the nature of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit sanctify 
if the Holy Spirit sanctifies, then you go, clearly the Holy Spirit hasn't worked on them, regardless of what the rest of their life looks like. But we do the opposite. But we do the opposite because we want to look at the power of men rather than the power of God. So the church often goes, but look at their work. Look at that. Look, they did this and they did that and they did that. So ignore that sin. It was just a stumble. It doesn't really matter. But that's not how the Bible says to deal with leprosy. It says you see it break out in the bald forehead. You see it break out in the bald spot. That's leprosy. They're a leper. It's telling what their heart is. He is unclean. So even though he appears to be mature in the faith, he's unclean. The pastor who's preached for 30 years and caught in adultery, he's unclean. You don't need to go, oh, what, what should we do about it? And maybe it doesn't even require that. Maybe he's just sending suggestive emails to a woman. Well, that's unclean enough. That shows that there's a problem in his heart. That shows that the Holy Spirit is not working there. And we need to recognize the seriousness of it. People are so quick to say he just fell. He had a momentary weakness. Rather than saying God has not sanctified him. So he's not his child. Hebrews 12, 5 through 8 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. This is the promise of Scripture. God actually turns us from sin. God actually punishes us for sin so that we stop sinning. Just as you use the rod on your children to stop them from sinning and you have an expectation that it will constrain sin in their life, we should have a greater expectation that God's work will constrain sin in our life. And so when we look at somebody who says they've been in the faith for 30 years and then they sin, the answer is, but wait a second, has the Holy Spirit been working? Because this is about the efficacy of the Holy Spirit not about their sin and the power of their sin. Which is more powerful, the Holy Spirit or their sin? God is raising people to be conformed to the image of God. And that doesn't mean they're without sin, but it does mean when the sin becomes obvious, when the sin becomes glaring, when it's obvious to everyone that they're in sin, let's not deceive ourselves. They are unclean. (laughs) And the priest shall surely proclaim... And the priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. The priest may be tempted not to. To say, oh, we should give it time. Let's see if it spreads. Let's see if it scabs over. Like it does in the other case of uncleanness. But this is different. And the way it's translated, the surely should really be with the unclean. In the most holy place, the way the most holy place was declared the most holy place is it was the holy, holy place. They just used the same word back to back. What's used here is the unclean, unclean. He shall pronounce him most unclean would be more a consistent translation with how it's dealt with with the holy. He is most unclean. 
And that's why he's supposed to declare it. He's not supposed to say, oh, but look at all the good works he's done. He's supposed to go, this person's most unclean because he said the Holy Spirit was working in his life for all those years. And now you see this obvious manifestation of sin, this thing that's glaring on their head, that's glaring on their their bald spot. And you're supposed to go, this is most unclean. This is more unclean than the person who has the scab. This is more unclean than the person who that, that sin spread. This is most unclean. The priest in this case is not to soften the words. Because he's mature, the standard is higher. When somebody is mature in the faith, the standard of their behavior is higher than somebody who just came as a newborn to the faith. And we all understand this. We all do this with our own children. Your expectations for a two-year-old is completely different than your expectations for a 20-year-old. And God is saying this is true for his children as well. The expectation for a one-year-old is very different than the expectation of a 20-year-old. If you're saying you're in the faith and you've been matured for 20 years, then the expectation is much higher. And when it breaks out, you're not just unclean, you're most unclean. And his sore is on his head. And I think this is interesting because I think that, that God is very explicitly giving a reminder. When we think of head, as I talked about last week, I think it's representing leadership. And we should recognize that when we deal with sin and those who we consider leaders, that has a greater impact on this church. And there is a natural aspect of leadership that just comes from having been in the faith longer. You become an example. The person who's been in the church for 40 years, they're an example to the people who just joined the church. It's not official leadership, but there is an honor given. There is a... a, They're an elder, not in an appointed office way, but they're an elder in the church. And so there's a sense that they have leadership, that people are looking up to them. So this is why the scriptures say in Leviticus 19.32, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. God says they have leadership. This is why when you reach you know, 70, 80 years of age, people are supposed to rise when you go into the room is what the law says. And why is that? That's because there's a natural honor that is, is given to people who have survived that long, who have persevered that long. And that happens in the church. And so that person who's persevered that long, people are looking towards them as an example of what it means to have been sanctified by God what it means to have been cleansed through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so because of that, the sore is on their head. It's more important to deal with it. It's more important to say they are most unclean because you need to make that testimony because otherwise people are naturally going to follow them. They're going to follow their example, not follow them when they give commandments, but follow their example because they're deserving honor. You have to deal with their sin more, more strictly, more rapidly, more. You look at it and you say, that's leprosy. And not think that this is just some sin that's acceptable, that God is sanctifying them. God sanctified, had a long time to sanctify them. Their sin is not acceptable. And it has to do with the cleanliness of the church is why you have to deal with sin in the 
the more mature believers because it has to do with the very nature of the Holy Spirit and the very nature of the Holy Spirit working in those who profess faith or those who truly have faith. Verses 45 and 46. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean, he shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So now the leper, since it's not said how to deal with the lepers up to this point in the chapter, other than declaring that they're lepers, this section, I think, applies to every, every person that was declared unclean before this. It was declared, you know, in chapter 13 because of leprosy that they were unclean. In the modern parlance, the, the places that continue to deal with leprosy, one of the things that they say is never call them lepers. It is terrible to call them lepers. That you should call them somebody who's afflicted with leprosy because the leprosy is separate from the leper. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The leprosy makes them a leper. And I think we tend to do the same thing. We tend to say they're not a sinner. Oh, they just sinned. That's what the world wants to do with leprosy today. And that's what the church wants to do with sin. Now, God is saying, if they have leprosy, they're a leper. If you practice sin, you're a sinner. The issue is not <coughs> that, the, that the sin is separate from the person. It is who they are. The person who has leprosy, they're to be called a leper. Now, the leper on whom the sore is, seeing the picture of sin, seeing them having that in their life, defines who they are. 1 John 3, 7 and 8, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The practice of sin defines them as a child of the devil. That is what shows where their heart is. That is all we see as external things. But God says this is how we see where their heart is. The one with the leper's spot is a leper. The one who practices sin, he is the child of the devil and not a child of God. We can see the heart through the behavior. And then it says his clothes shall be torn. Clothes being torn is a picture of mourning. And this specific word is used only in two other places in the Bible. While there's, you know, like 30 places that talk about tearing clothes, or maybe 20 places. This concept of, of this specific word about being torn, it's a different word. And they're all in Leviticus. One is where Aaron is warned not to not to tear his clothes because of Nadab and Abihu. That after they, after they were killed by God, he was not supposed to mourn over them. And the sign of mourning was to tear his clothes. And the other is about the high priest. That when the high priest, if his mother or father dies or anybody dies, they are not to tear their clothes. They are not supposed to mourn. They're not supposed to to have the same response that other people have because they are a picture of Christ. 
And Christ doesn't mourn over his judgment. He doesn't mourn over the wrath that he will pour out. He knows it is good and right and just. And so throughout Scripture, that picture of the clothes being torn, it's a, it's a picture of mourning, and specifically, this is mourning over sin. And notice that it says that they shall be torn. This is not about... <coughs> this is not saying that they get a choice in the matter. If they won't tear their own clothes, they're supposed to have their clothes torn. Notice from verse 1 that this wasn't written to Aaron. Throughout this, we hear the priest is supposed to do this, the priest is supposed to do this, the priest is supposed to do this. And nothing had to do with the civil magistrate, but when God told it to them, he told it to Moses and Aaron. And this is where the civil magistrate comes in. Because if they won't tear their clothes, the civil magistrate is to make them tear their clothes. Their clothes shall be torn. It's not that they get to tear their clothes or they should tear their clothes. It's they shall be torn. So the civil magistrate is given the responsibility to deal with the signs of leprosy once the church, once the priesthood has declared them unclean. So they're supposed to have that outward expression of mourning over the... Yeah, this outward picture of mourning over sin is a picture of the of the mourning over leprosy, which is a picture of sin. In that, and I think the clothes being torn, we should remember what the clothes being torn is. I mean, the the clothes are a picture of their good deeds. It's a picture of their good works. And so when they have leprosy and their clothes are torn, it's this picture that none of their good deeds matter. Your good deeds don't matter unless you are right with God, unless you are clean with God. Your good deeds can do nothing. They don't bring you any closer to God. They do nothing for you. If you're unclean, you can tear them all up. Yes, God does save us to good works, but the good works are only good works that are, that are meaningful if we're saved. So this is a picture if we're a leper, if we're spiritually unclean, our sins don't, our good deeds don't somehow balance our sin. There is no balance for your sin. If you are unclean, if your heart is a heart of stone, it doesn't matter how many good works you do to make yourself feel better. It doesn't matter how many people applaud you for all the good things that you do. The question is, are you right with God? If you're a leper, none of those deeds matter. And it's head bare. In the Old Covenant, Having your head bare was a sign of mourning over sin. The priests had to have their head covered when they ministered before God. And we don't have much other specific instruction about heads being covered, except it does talk about one point that they have to keep their turbans on. And it talks about when a woman is accused of adultery that her head is uncovered. So it's pretty clear that both men and women in the Old, co- in the old Covenant they both had their head covers pr- covered pretty much at all times. And definitely as priests, you had to have your head covered. And so it's clear from this passage that the, the head being uncovered, that again, the civil magistrate would force it. If they tried to cover their head, the civil magistrate would uncover it. And the reason that I think that it was covered is it's a picture of of the shame of sin being upon them, that they're so, this isn't just because they have a leprous spot on their blind or on their bald spot. It's so that everybody goes, the shame of sin is upon them. 
The shame, and again, leprosy is just a picture. The leper could have been a righteous man. Naaman sounds like he was a righteous man, but yet he was a leper. But yet, so it's not, the picture doesn't match the reality, but the picture that we see is that the sin is to be exposed. Everybody's supposed to know this person is a leper. It's not like, oh, they did this sin. Let's see if we can hide it. Let's just put them away quietly. That's not what we're supposed to do. The head's supposed to be uncovered. People are supposed to see the shame. Now, in the New Covenant, this changes, right? Because in the New Covenant, because man is a picture of Christ, the picture is that Christ had his head uncovered. He became sin. And as men take that picture of sin, we're supposed to be taking on the picture of Christ. And so the the sin is not a shame to us anymore because Christ overcame the power of sin. And so there's not the same shame on the person. And so his head's bare and and he shall cover his mustache. The word mustache is probably better translated upper lip. And so it's the covering of the lip, and that's also a sign of mourning. In Malachi 3, 6 through 8, it says, Therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. He's saying, basically, Micah's saying, the other prophets that are around that are saying this is from God, they should all cover their lips because they're all lepers. They're all ignoring sin, and you shouldn't listen to any of them. And I think that covering up your lip is, it is about, it's this picture that you shouldn't be listening to people. Once somebody is shown to be a leper, once somebody is shown to be that this, this sin breaks out, right? That the sin on the forehead, the elder who, who clearly is in sin, you shouldn't go back and read his old books. You're not supposed to listen to him anymore. He's supposed to cover his lips and be saying, unclean, unclean. And we should take that to mean, We shouldn't go back and think, oh, look how helpful these things that he wrote are. Instead, we should go, let's find somebody who's clean that we can read, somebody who who has a testimony of walking in righteousness and holiness. Sin permeates everything and affects everything, and so we shouldn't listen to those who are declared unclean. (coughs) And they're supposed to cry. Not only are they supposed to cover their mustache, but they're supposed to be crying out. And again, that means the civil magistrate is supposed to enforce this. That they're supposed to enforce that the the leper is crying out when somebody comes close to them. Unclean, unclean. They have a duty to inform others. They're not supposed to be talking to them about other things. When we think about this with how to deal with the excommunicated, because that's the picture of being declared unclean as you get excommunicated. When you see that picture of the unclean, the conversation is supposed to be about their uncleanness. It's not supposed to be about all kinds of other things. It's supposed to be, you're unclean. This is a problem. And so they were supposed to constantly be saying, unclean, unclean, to warn other people. So that the people dealing with them understood the danger. It talks about Jude that we're supposed to rescue those who are sinning. But when we rescue them, some you do with compassion, but some you snatch them out like a brand from the fire. 
And that's the picture here. We're supposed to remember as we deal with them that they're unclean and that their words can affect us and they can, they can twist us from the truth. So he shall be unclean. He remains unclean once he's declared unclean until the problem that caused him to be declared unclean is truly healed. And as I said last week, and I think it's worth repeating, they're not clean until they've cleansed their garments, until you've actually seen them do work that, that shows that they've, they've, their heart has actually changed. We want to declare people clean before they've vindicated their name, before they've done restitution, before they've actually dealt with their problem. But we shouldn't be thinking that they're clean when they haven't bothered to wash their garments. We shouldn't be thinking they're clean if the sore actually hasn't been taken care of. You don't just go, oh, it's scabbed over. You go, is it actually healed? I think that the church is very quick when it excommunicates people to bring them back by just going, hey, I see a scab on the skin. I see a scab on the sin. Instead of saying, is there evidence that it's actually healed? Instead of just scabbed over. So all the days, he has to be treated as unclean all of the time. It's not unusual for someone to be declared unclean, and over time, people forget about it. They start to treat it as not mattering that much. But they're still unclean. We should remember that with people that we have excommunicated. They're still unclean. They still haven't resolved the issue. They've quote-unquote moved on with their life, but they haven't really moved on with their life because God says that they haven't. They're still unclean. And it's really important to recognize that. We're not supposed to pretend like it doesn't matter. We're not supposed to forget. We're supposed to remember. So all the days he has a sore, as long as the sin has not been dealt with, as long as it continues in their life, as long as they haven't been cleansed from that sin, he's still unclean. Leprosy is a picture of sin, sin that we see as external, but it shows us what the internal condition is. We can't know if somebody's saved, but we can know if they're not saved. That's, That's the leprosy part, right? Because if you looked at the man who has the bald head and you look at him for 30 years and you go, he's been sanctified, look at him, and leprosy breaks out, it meant that you were wrong the whole time. But we can judge whether somebody's unclean or not. We can judge the sin that breaks out, whether it shows that they're unclean. We can know if somebody's unclean, but we can't tell their heart to know if they're clean. (coughs) So we're supposed to continue to say they're unclean. He is unclean. (coughs) The leprosy is not unclean. The leprosy is indicating the man is unclean. It's important to recognize that. Yes, the sin is wrong. But that picture of sin is that their heart, in their heart, they are a sinner. That's what the leprosy is about. It's about declaring what can't be seen. When you say he's unclean, you're declaring what can't be seen, not that he has a sore in his skin. When we look at sin, when sin is exposed, when the practice of sin is exposed, regardless of how serious we might see the sin, it's still an external manifestation of where the heart truly is. We can't see the heart, so we're supposed to follow the rules of God so that we can judge the heart according to God's judgment of the heart. So he is unclean and he shall dwell alone. I think this is a picture of the judgment of sin. 
Eternal judgment on sin is complete separation from everything. Those who are in hell, they are completely separated. They are as alone as you can be. You can't even hear your own voice. That's what hell is. And because of this, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to dwell alone. They were supposed to take that picture upon them of being completely separate. The traditional way of dealing with lepers was to create leper colonies where they'd create their own communities. But that's not what's meant here. What's meant here is they're supposed to be divided. They're supposed to be separate, not just from the camp. They're supposed to be separated from each other. It's not that you build a a leper community. It's that you have the picture of what hell looks like, what the judgment, the eternal judgment of sin looks like. They're supposed to be dwell completely alone, which is exactly what lepers, what spiritual lepers will at the day of judgment. They will be left completely alone for eternity. And his dwelling shall be outside the camp. They're required to be separated outside the camp. They're no longer part of the children of Israel even if they would have probably stayed near Israel because you still need food supplies and other things, so they probably weren't completely separated from them, but they were outside the camp. They were no longer part of the children of Israel. Even as, And so, again, it is a picture of the separation with the joining. They're still, they still are there. They're still near there. They can still be seen by them. They still pass them as they go but they're still very separate. So just like with the head covering for the men, this, this changes in the new covenant. In the old covenant, they had to be put outside the camp. In the new covenant, it says in Hebrews that we have to go outside the camp, that we have to join Christ outside the camp, that it is the ones that are separated from the world. Those are the ones that are saved. And so there, there is this flipping of pictures that happens because Christ overcomes sin. Because Christ breaks the power of sin. And so because of that, no longer do we, do we just go, oh, we, should, we want to stay in the camp. And obviously when it's the church, we do want to stay in there. But the picture is we have to be willing to leave the world. We have to be willing to be considered a leper by the world. Do not be deceived. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's the promise of Scripture. And so just like the lepers would be treated badly by everyone because of their leprosy, now this is what we should expect as Christians is for the world to hate us because it hated Christ. Let me give you some applications. The first application is God is removing spots and wrinkles from his church, which means there will be spots where the sin is removed. There will be this this spot where somebody else will look and say, I still have dirt there and you're clean there and that will still be offensive. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. God is cleansing the church, and that means that to cleanse the church, there has to be differences among people in the church. And there's differences because God is cleansing it, and by cleansing one person, other people follow over time. And this is, and if what you do is when somebody does something different because they're going, God has convicted me of this, 
and you go, that's sin, what you do is create the church to be unholy. Instead of God's plan is, yes, he convicts somebody in the church and they start to walk in a different way. And over time, other people start to walk in a different way in that church. That's how he cleanses the church. What we need to do is when our differences are are out of righteousness, when our differences are out of somebody seeking to obey God, we need to rejoice in those differences. Because that's how God causes his church to advance, both in its labor, because he gives us a multitude of gifts. He gives us a multitude of abilities, multitude of ministries. But also, even when, when somebody is convicted of sin, if you're not convicted of that sin, still rejoice that they have been convicted of that sin. Because that's how God cleanses his church. And that's how you're likely to be convicted of that sin otherwise, or later, if they're right in their judgment that it really is sin. The church advances through those white spots on the body of the church. (coughs) (coughs) And related to that is we need to accept differences in the church. Because sometimes, probably even frequently, it is the people who seem strange because they've been given a different work to do for the kingdom of God. And that's a good thing because it shows the breadth of the kingdom of God. You know, I can even think this week where, you know, Jeff Arnett was so excited that we got this order for 600 legs. And all I could think about is, that's more work. But all he could think about is, God has blessed what I've been working on for 12 years. This is an amazing thing. And that God has opened these doors, and it looks like all the dreams that I had of what my ministry would be in Africa is coming to fruition Because God gave he and I very different ministries, even as we work together. And that's a good thing. He can cause a whole bunch of people to walk in Africa because of the the mission that Jeff gave, even when I look at it and go, this is just more work. And we have to rejoice in those differences. And we have to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because those are a good thing. This is how God advances his kingdom. And his kingdom has lots of different parts to it. And all those parts have to advance. And God has appointed different people to do different parts. And so we should, when, that, when God does that, we should rejoice in that. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, there's a diversity of gifts with the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in on, all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. God gives us different ministries so that, so that the kingdom gets advanced. And that's a blessing to all of us. And so we should remember that when we see somebody and go, why is he so worried about whatever it is? Why does he think it's worth spending all his time on that? The answer might be because that's what God wants him to spend his time on. The answer might be it's sin. But it's very easy for us to leap to that it's sin as opposed to leaping to but God's assigned him a different ministry than I have. And even though it might just seem like it's, it's you know, cleaning the street on a side street of the kingdom of God, that side street still needs to be clean. And it's still a work of God. And it's still what God has appointed one of his slaves to do. And we should rejoice in all the work that God has given people to do. So just because someone's called to a ministry that you might think is a waste of time, we need to trust that God will direct the path of all his servants. 
the diversity of the body is needed for the work that God has called us to do. (coughs) Another application, the church should have a view of the importance of sin and of the importance of dealing with sin. So while we're not supposed to be just trying to seek out to find whatever sin we can find in one another, when we see something that looks odd, that attracts our attention, it's legitimate to look into it. It's legitimate to examine it. It's legitimate to say, is this sinful or not? Why did they start doing that all of a sudden? Did they start doing that because of the lust of the flesh, or did they start doing that because they were trying to obey God? Priests have been given the job to look into things. Even if all it is is just a bright spot on the skin, the priest still examined it. We need to be our brother's keeper. And it's not just about sin in the church, but it's very much still is about sin in the church. I mean, sin in the church should be the first priority. But even in the world, we're supposed to go, and when we see somebody behaving weirdly, we're supposed to say, is this because of sin? Because the people that are brought are not people that are priests. The people that are brought are the people. So 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8 says, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for sin. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If we see ourselves as being unleavened, then all of a sudden dealing with whatever sin we see gets to be a lot more important. And as the body of Christ, we are to see ourselves as unleavened. That's how we're supposed to see ourselves, which means that we should have as much seriousness dealing with sin in the church as we would if we saw Christ sinning because we are a picture of Christ. And so it's really easy to just kind of ignore sin or kind of downplay its significance instead of going, no, sin is really significant. It's about the glory of God. It's about what does the world see when it sees us? Does it see us hallowed before before their eyes so that they understand who God is? (coughs) So whenever, whenever we see something that looks like sin or looks like it could be sin, because of the preciousness of the name of God, because Christ came to make a pure people, because we're bearers of his name, it gives us a real duty to deal with sin. When God makes it visible, we can't close our eyes to it. We actually have a duty to deal with it. And, you know, this is kind of an aside, but I know like um, John MacArthur's church, they won't take accusations against people from outside the church. That is really wrong. And it's important for us to recognize how wrong that is, what a terrible view that is. When you look at all these lepers, it's not a priest who says, I think I see leprosy. It is anybody can say, I think I see leprosy. And the church has a responsibility to say, is this sin? You don't just go, well, this this drunkard said this guy's a drunkard, and then just go, oh, he must be a drunkard. But it does mean you still examine it, and you say, is the guy a drunkard? And I think too often we think that, oh, it's only if the accusation comes from inside the church. I don't know that we think that, but that's not that uncommon in the church. But that's not the picture of this with leprosy at all. It's anybody goes, I think that's leprosy. And the church has the responsibility to examine and say, is that leprosy? 
it's so easy for, you know, it's so easy to ignore it and go, they're sinners, what would they know? But sinners know sin, and we shouldn't pretend like sinners don't know sin. And it's always easy to say, oh, the world is just persecuting the church, which is why I think they have that. Oh, I'm such a big target that if we don't want to allow any accusations to come against Grace Community Church from outside. But that's not biblical. The answer is if they come from outside and they're not, and they're not sin, then you say they're not sin. You don't just go, oh, we're not going to entertain accusations from outside. The church needs to deal with all sin. And the church needs to desire to find out about sin if there is sin there and not just cover it up with excuses. (coughs) Another application, most people who do things differently than the people around them do it to attract attention. They want people to look at them. It can be about the pride of life. So even if they're doing something that is righteous, even if they're doing something where they start a ministry, you go to Nigeria and everybody starts a ministry. And they all start a ministry for the same reason. Not, well, there might be some exceptions. But almost all of them start a ministry because they want men to go, oh, look, he's a minister. As opposed to actually trying to minister, actually trying to serve. And so we should recognize when you see that white spot, it is always valid to ask, why are they doing it? Are they doing it because they really think this work should be done? Are they doing it because they want the work to be seen? It's only clean. The work's only clean. The work's only acceptable in the sight of God. If it's work that's, that, yeah, it's seen because it's work that's done. It's not seen because the work was done to be seen. Same sin, church can be very naive and think that the same reason that people do tattoos and piercings and all the strange things that people do to attract other people's attention, that that doesn't happen in the church. That happens frequently in the church. (coughs) And especially for positions like elders and deacons, that happens frequently. Where the people don't want the work, what they want is the position because they want it to be seen and they're willing to do the work to be seen. When the reality is what you want is people who will do the work whether they're seen or not. That's the picture of the leprosy that is dull white. (coughs) Another application, we should have higher expectations for those who have been in the faith longer. The standard for what is unacceptable sin should go up. Not that it's not all sin, but the expectation should be God is sanctifying his children the basic reason for that is because of the promises of God in Romans eight twenty nine, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God promises that if he saves you, if he works in you, he will continue to work in you. He will continue to sanctify you. And so because of that, when we're saved, when we're adopted by God, as adopted children, when we're a one-year-old, we shouldn't be surprised that we would sin differently than we would as a 20-year-old. If God spent 20 years scourging us, of course our behavior should be different. I think often the church doesn't think that way. And the church should have a greater expectation of what the Holy Spirit will do in somebody's life. If we're capable of training our children so that they mature, if we're capable of training them so that they turn from sin, how much more is the perfect Father in heaven capable of turning us from sin? God is completely capable of training his children. So when you see that leprosy on the bald spot, that picture of 
of sin breaking out in somebody who appears to be mature, we need to recognize that that's a lot more serious than the same leprosy breaking out on a newborn babe. It is different. We are to have greater expectations because of trusting in the Holy Spirit, because we expect the Holy Spirit to train, because we expect God to be a father, not because of the nature of man, but because of the nature of God. For the leprosy on the bald spot, they were supposed to see it and be very quick to go. Clearly, they're unclean. Clearly, they're leper. And we should be quicker to do those that are allegedly mature in the faith. (coughs) Another application. It's not proper to separate the sin from the sinner. That's a modern phrase, right? Hate the sin, but love the sinner. While there are some aspects of truth to it, we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to love the enemies of God. But at the same time, we are not to separate the sin from the sinner. The sinner sinned, or the sin was sinned because the sinner chose to sin. And you cannot make the choice of the sinner sinning separate from the sin and make the sin just this separate thing. No, they sinned because they were a sinner. The sin had power over them. They were a slave to sin. Is, it, is why they're not practicing righteousness, why they're practicing sin. And so we can't separate the sin from the sinner without removing their responsibility. And God does not remove responsibility for sin. We're all responsible for our sin. Even as we have a sin nature, even as we have the old man still in us, the, the flesh that still causes us to sin, we need to still understand that's our sin, that's our responsibility. We're not two beings. We always rightly bear the guilt of our sin. Another application. In the new covenant, a man having his head uncovered is not a sign of mourning over sin, but it's a sign that God has overcome sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 5. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head was shaved. The idea is is that a man, when he prays with his head covered, he's acting like Christ has not dealt with sin. He has not (coughs) resolved the problem with sin. He's not taking on the picture of Christ. And so he is to pray with his head uncovered because he's not like the priests in the Old Testament that couldn't do anything about sin. All they could do about sin in the Old Testament was covered up. In the New Testament, through the blood of Christ and as the picture of Christ, sin can be dealt with. Christ came to take away sin. And so there's a, the head is to be uncovered by men when they pray. (laughs) as a picture of what Christ has done, just as it was covered before as a picture of the shame of sin. Then the last. (coughs) Too often the church thinks sin is best dealt with by hiding it. That's the opposite of what the scriptures teach. The leopard was to be made known by his clothes being torn, by his head being uncovered, by his having to declare that he's unclean, by his covering his mouth, his upper lip so people would have trouble hearing him. Everybody that came by, they were supposed to know this is his sin. 
The church now wants to go, well, we'll just put them out. We'll put them away quietly, like what they tried to do with the Arnett's. We'll just move them out of this church. They can go to another church. We just want to do it quietly. That is as unbiblical a position as you can get. The reality is the church is supposed to declare sin as sin so that people fear and turn from their sin. That's what it means to be salt. That's what it means to be light. When we hide sin instead of dealing with sin, the whole culture decays because it is the church that stops the decay of the culture. It's the church that, that causes the growth of righteousness in a society, the constraint of sin in a society. And it's because the church has to be willing to call sin, sin. It has to be willing to call people who are unclean, unclean, so that the world sees and the world responds and acts based on what they see. When the church hides sin, it destroys the world. And we can see where we are as a nation. And that should show us what happens when we hide sin. And we should make sure as Reformation Baptist Church that we don't hide sin. Hiding sin just produces destruction. Let me close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for this passage. We thank you for these words. There is much here. Lord, there is much pictures that you give us that we are to understand. Lord, help us to understand them as you have given them. Let us understand them in the the way that you have revealed them to us and for the purpose that you revealed them to us. And let us live by them and let us operate by them and let us not just put them aside and say, oh, these are Old Testament pictures. Instead, let us say that these are the things that you came to fulfill. These are the things that you came to make understandable. These are the things that you came to reform so that we could walk in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Unlike the Israelites, Lord, help us to to rightly apply these things so that, that we can be a beacon of light in a dark world. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.